Genesis chapter 22. We're just weeks away now from celebrating and commemorating uh, Jesus' death and resurrection and so on, Last Supper and all those things. And uh, this story has a profound meaning and impact on that season, so that's why I picked it for today. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac, his son Isaac. And uh, it's a dramatic story, and it has lots of meaning for this season of the year. So let's begin reading in Genesis 22, verse 1. In my Bible, it's entitled, Abraham Tested. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Interestingly enough, Moriah is where the Temple Mount is in Jerusalem, Mount Moriah. So it's interesting that this story takes place at the exact spot where Jesus was crucified. So keep that in mind. And he tells Abraham, sacrifice your son, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go with the boy over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So back in those days, it was customary to, for sin, offer an animal and to burn it up in fire so that the, the, the smoke symbolically wafted up toward God in heaven. And this was before the priesthood existed, but at this time, it was the patriarchs who took the place of the priest and took care of the, the sacrifices. So it would have been Abraham's responsibility. Verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord 
called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off uh, together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. What a dramatic story. It's one we've read before and uh, know well. And it's amazing to me, and it shouldn't be, because Abraham was a man of faith. He is referred to as the father of the faithful. His faith in God really stands out, and it should. So it's an interesting story as to the way God chose to test Abraham's faith. And I think we've all kind of put ourselves in his place. If God were to ask us to do this, what would we do? How would we react? And it's amazing to me how coolly Abraham obeyed God because he had faith. He trusted God. And here he was asked to sacrifice a son whom they waited so long for. Don't forget when Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah, Abraham was 100 years old. That's how long he waited for a son. And uh, Sarah was 90 years old. So this son is finally born to them, and now God's going to ask him to kill this son? It doesn't seem to make sense, but you know, sometimes today, things that we have to go through don't make sense, but they do to God. God has a plan. God's in charge. And furthermore, God had promised Abraham back in Genesis 12 that you're going to be the father of many peoples. The whole world, all nations are going to be blessed through your offspring. And of course, he was talking about Jesus Christ, who would eventually be descended from Abraham way down the line, centuries later. So all, considering all these things, how could God possibly ask him to kill this son now? But Abraham obeyed without questioning or complaining, proving his trust in God. Hold your place there, and we're going to turn very quickly to Hebrews, because in uh, Hebrews 11, the faith chapter in the Bible, uh, the writer of Hebrews comments on this story. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 17. In this chapter, he's listing all the great people of faith in the Old Testament. And he says in verse 17, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Well, at least he was about to till God stopped him. He who had received the promises, this is Abraham, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So this is probably what was on uh, Abraham's mind as he took his son up to sacrifice him. Well, God's in charge, and I know that God has the ability, even if I kill him, to raise him back to life. 
if that's what God's plan was. So his faith was so deep that he was confident God could raise him back to life even if he was killed. <clears throat> a tremendous story, and what an example of faith in God. I remember one time speaking to a woman who told me, <coughs> excuse me, I can't believe in a God who would ever command somebody to kill their son. Well, he didn't have to kill his son. That wasn't God's intention from the first. It was a test for Abraham. And this whole story has a much deeper meaning, which we're going to talk about now. Can you mute me a second? I'm going to cough here. <laughs> Looking deeper into the story, there's profound symbolism here because every character in this story represents somebody. God is represented by Abraham. So as you think of this story and how it played out, think of Abraham as God. Isaac, his son, represents the human race. And the ram represents Jesus. So Abraham is God. Isaac is the human race. And the ram is Jesus. Because of sin, we know that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And as it says in Romans 3... Verse 23, it says that. In Romans 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is death. Amen. And that's a real wage for what we earn by our actions. When we sin, we bring upon ourselves a death penalty. So when Isaac is placed on the altar to be killed, it's picturing what our wages for sin are. In other words, that we all deserve to die because of our sins. And it's picturing how God, he has every right, he is totally just in doing it, bringing about a death penalty for each of us because we have all sinned. So there he is, if you will, God with a knife, representing how he has every right to take our lives because of our sins. But at the last minute, God's desire is to stop and not put us to death for our sins, but to provide a substitute for us. And that's where the ram comes into play. Now, this is picturing God's plan for salvation and his whole plan for the human race. Isaac pictures what would have had to happen to mankind because of our sinfulness had God not provided a means for them to be rescued from his wrath. The story demonstrates how God offers sinners the way to avoid God's wrath in spite of sin. So do you get that? God has the right to deal out death to all the sinners because they deserve death. We've all sinned. The wages of sin is death. We've got this coming to us, if you will. 
But it's not God's desire that his wrath be spelled out like that or come to fruition. It's God's desire, and this is how he worked it out, that he provided a substitute, Jesus Christ, his son, so that we don't have to die for our sins. It's a beautiful picture, and it's a profound meaning and symbolism. Now, God's wrath is something that is very real. I don't think we talk about it all that much. We like to talk about his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. But there is such a thing as God's wrath. Wrath is defined as the emotional response to wrong and injustice. You can translate it as anger. Wrath is such a, an old-time word, King James word, but you can call it anger. God can get angry. Now, the Bible says that God is love. And sometimes people wonder, well, wait a minute. If God is love, how can he get angry? Well, God is very much like us. Well, he's created us in his image. So we can be love. <clears throat> we can be loving, but at the same time, we can get angry. <clears throat> we love our children very much. But what if somebody tries to do something to hurt our children? I don't know about you, but I can get angry pretty quick. Because what that person's trying to do is getting in the way of my love for my child. And that's why God gets angry. He loves us very much. He loves us desperately. But sometimes something gets in the way of his love for us. And what is it? Sin. Our sin. We hurt ourselves through our sin, and that upsets God. It causes him to be wrathful. He hates sin. And sometimes I don't think we understand how much he hates sin. We kind of get accustomed to sin sometimes and think, well, it's, you know, it's maybe not all that bad. But sin is so bad, and it riles God up. He becomes angry. He becomes wrathful. And, you know, it is so important to God that he was willing to put his son, that ram, in the place of us because somebody had to die for sin. It should have been us. But God at the last minute provided a substitute so that we can live and his son was willing to die and take our place. So both humans and God can express wrath. But there's a vast difference between the wrath of God and the wrath of man. God's wrath is holy, and it's always justified. There's always a reason for it. He's just in using his wrath. But man's wrath is never holy and seldom justified. We get angry at the drop of a hat. You know, God is love, and he loves his children, but he hates anything that would hurt his children. God loves humanity, but hates sin. So this is what is meant by the wrath of God. There is such a thing, and it builds up in God. You know, by our sin, we've made ourselves enemies of God because our lifestyles have been totally contrary to God's nature. God is love, and a lot of times we live a lifestyle that is not based on love, and it goes against God's way, God's nature. So God provided a solution to our predicament. 
He provided a way to rescue us from his wrath. Even before the world began, he had the plan in mind. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, and they were the first ones to incur God's wrath, right? The Garden of Eden, Satan tempted them, they disobeyed, and they sinned against God. Before that even happened, God had a way to eliminate us having to suffer his wrath. And we all deserve to suffer his wrath. And, you know, we're told in uh, <clears throat> Revelation 13, verse 8, Revelation 13, verse 8. I think I may have mentioned this scripture in passing the other week. But it talks about Jesus, the lamb, or if you will, the ram that was put to death in our place. It says here, uh, talking about Jesus Christ, all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast at that time, end time, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb, with a capital L, that's Jesus, that was slain from the creation of the world. So wait a minute, I thought that Jesus wasn't slain until much later, millennia later. No, the plan was already in place. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, God knew what was going to happen. You know, God knew, he wasn't surprised that Adam and Eve sinned. He knew that that was going to happen. And he knew that every single human being from that point on was going to sin and incur his wrath. But he had already planned it out that he was going to provide a, a ram, a lamb, an innocent one, who was going to die in our place so we wouldn't have to suffer his wrath. Isn't that a wonderful plan? He already had that all planned out in advance. So we deserve punishment for our sins, but God's desire is not to punish, but to rescue us from the penalty of sin, to rescue us from his wrath. So God doesn't enjoy being wrathful to people. He has been and he will be in the future. I like the scripture in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says this, God is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anybody to have to come under his wrath because his wrath is real. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he provided that ram to be sacrificed in Isaac's place, which means in place of everybody, all humanity. He provided that way out for us. But we have to take advantage of it. We have to recognize what he did. He provided his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And if you choose, you can have his death, God's wrath, poured out on him in your place. Now, we've seen God's wrath poured out in times past. We all know the story of the flood in Noah's day. When you read that chapter in Genesis, God said, things are so bad on this earth, I'm sorry I created the human race. That's what he said. It repents me that I created man. And he did save those who were righteous, Noah and his family, total of eight people on the ark. And what happened to the rest of the world? 
They all died. The great flood. But then he started up again with Noah's family and the human race grew again. And we know through history that he eventually, you know, called a people, a nation, uh, Israel, and he worked with them intimately. But they fell into idolatry and they were worshiping other gods and disobeying God and rejecting God. And God warned them, listen, if you don't straighten up, if you don't repent, my wrath is going to be coming on you. And through the prophets, over the course of centuries, he warned Israel and Judah. He said, you need to repent and do what's right and obey me. And what happened, first of all, to, to the northern uh, kingdom of Israel? They were taken captive. They were destroyed by the Assyrians, taken away into captivity. And then later on, centuries later, the same thing happened to Judah. And in spite of all the warnings, they did not take advantage of God's warning and they had to succumb to God's wrath. So God's wrath is real. It is very real. And you know what? It's still there. And God has given us a way to avoid it by taking hold of this little ram, claiming Jesus as our Savior. We have to repent. We have to admit that we're sinners, that we need a Savior, and take advantage of this substitute that he provided for us, his son, Jesus Christ. And if you don't do that, God's wrath is coming. You know, the Old Testament prophets called, uh, talked about a day of God's wrath. A day of wrath. And it's when Jesus returns. So, unfortunately, God's wrath is going to have to be poured out once again on all those who have sinned, which includes everybody, who have not had a Savior, who have not looked to the sacrifice of that little innocent lamb or ram and accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Once you do that, you avoid God's wrath. God's wrath is withheld from you. Turn with me to John 3, verse 36, where it says that. John 3, verse 36. So just as people in the Old Testament were warned, and some heeded the warning, and many didn't, the same warning goes out today. John 3, verse 36. Notice, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son, Jesus Christ, will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So, see, God's wrath is for the whole world. But he's given us an out. He provided a means by, by which we can avoid God's wrath. And like I said, we don't like to think about God's wrath, but it's there. It's real. And we must avoid it or we're going to succumb to it. We're going to be a victim of it. And the time we have to choose, now I'm speaking to a, you know, a group of saved people here, but this is something we all have to understand and maybe, maybe help others understand. Uh, the time has a limit on it when we're able to accept Jesus as our Savior. Jesus is going to return, and it's called a day of wrath. There's going to be a lot of suffering, a lot of shocked and surprised people. Uh, 
but we have to take advantage of God's mercy and grace while it is available. So it was never God's intention for Abraham to kill Isaac. That's what I wanted to say to that woman who said, I just can't believe, I have got a problem with a God who commands somebody to kill their son. It was never God's intention for Abraham to kill Isaac. And that's the way the story played out. He stopped him at the last minute and said, not necessary, I provided a substitute for you. And they took this helpless little ram who had his horns caught in the thorny thicket. And don't forget, when Jesus was being crucified, what did they put on his head? A crown of thorns. And it was like that was a pointer saying, okay, you read the story, the Jews were very familiar with the story of Abraham and Isaac. And it was like God was saying, okay, that man over there with thorns on his head, that's the ram that Abraham took out of the bushes to kill as a substitute for Isaac. And what God was saying is this man with the thorns on his head is the substitute. All you have to do is take advantage of his sacrifice on the cross. He is the substitute for you. Choose him as your savior. Admit you're a sinner, repent of your sins, and just ask him to be your savior. And you know what? God's wrath will be removed from you. You'll no longer have to worry about God's wrath because he died in your place. You don't have to worry about dying when God's wrath comes. In the same way, just as God never really intended for Abraham to kill Isaac, it was just a demonstration of his plan for salvation. It's not God's desire that anyone today be a victim of his wrath. It's real, it's coming, but he has provided a way out and he urges you take advantage of it. You don't have to suffer God's wrath, even though you're a sinner. Repent and take hold of that ram or lamb that has been sacrificed for you and ask him to be your savior, and he will. Turning to Romans chapter two. Romans chapter two, Paul is warning people about God's coming wrath. He was speaking to the believers in Rome and warning them. He says in Romans two, beginning in verse five, He's speaking to the world, to sinners out there who need to hear, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. You know, the same message is preached to the world today. The more you sin as time goes by, you're building up more of God's wrath against you. He says, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. That's when Jesus returns and he's returning soon. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. That's those who have accepted Jesus as their savior, who have taken advantage of the substitute that God had provided for them. Verse eight, but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. That's God's wrath built up against sin. He loves people, but he hates sin. 
It's totally opposed to his nature and his character. And he wouldn't be a good, loving God if he didn't hate what hurts us, the ones he loves. Verse 9. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. So this judgment, this wrath is going to be poured out on all people. Take advantage of the way out that God has provided for you. He doesn't want you to come under his wrath. He wants you to choose Jesus as your savior, avoiding the wrath of God. So we who have accepted Jesus as our savior have been removed from the wrath of God. We don't have to worry about it. So it is a uh, incentive for the world, let's put it that way. They think, uh, well, I may get around someday to you know, getting closer to God or believing in him. God says, listen, the time is coming and it's not far off when God's wrath is going to be poured out again on the whole world it's going to be a really bad time Amen. suffering you know woes poured out book of revelation talks a lot about it you don't want to be a part of that you want to be saved from it so here's how to do it and God in that little story of Abraham and Isaac poured out his whole story of salvation right there what we deserve because of our sins is death. But God provided a substitute. He killed the substitute on the cross. Take advantage of it. Look to him. Repent of your sins and look to him as your savior. And God's wrath is removed from you. One last scripture I want to look at. I wonder sometimes, you know, back in history when this happened to Abraham and Isaac, especially Abraham, what he thought of this whole incident. And uh, Jesus said something very interesting about it in, Roman, in John 8 and verse 56. He was speaking to the Jews about Abraham and uh, back in those early times. And notice what he said here, John 8 verse 56. He says to the Jews, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day when Jesus would come to earth, when he would live his life and then die as a sacrifice for the human race. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. So I think when this whole story took place with Abraham and Isaac, that God had given Abraham some insight and some understanding as to what this all meant from threatening to kill his own son Isaac with a knife, to being stopped, to finding this ram stuck in the thorny bush and killing that animal instead in its place and being blessed by God and being commended for his faith. That it wasn't just an incident, it wasn't just a story, but Abraham had some insight as to what this all meant. An insight about Jesus and the Son of God you know, we living in the year 2023, we look back on all of these events and get meaning from them. Abraham, back in his day, he looked forward to all of this happening, to Jesus dying on the cross. 
So God's understanding goes both ways. From that point in history where that cross was put up with Jesus on it, understanding of that goes forward in, in time to our day. So we look back and, and see, wow, that was the Son of God who died for our sins. Somehow Abraham, living way earlier, was able to look forward. God gave him some understanding as to what this little incident with the ram meant. And as Jesus said here, he was glad because God gave him understanding of why they had to go through all of this, why he had to threaten to kill his son, why his son was spared and an animal was put in his place. It says here, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. So understanding miraculously goes both ways. It goes forward in time and it goes backward in time with that event being the central point of focus, Jesus on the cross. So a simple story in the Old Testament, Abraham and Isaac, and what it means. It has profound meaning for us today. And he put it in the story so that we can get the point more clearly. We can, we can see this event, this incident happening, and understand what it means. And it's a plan that God had devised even before Adam and Eve were created. And it has played out now through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. We thank God for his help and his mercy. And he does not want us to have to go through the wrath of God that is coming on the world. It is coming. And it is very real. And it's just a matter of time until it begins. But God has provided a substitute for us, a way out, so that we can be blessed and enjoy eternal life with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful story going so far back in time, but it has meaning for the world today and for us individually. Thank you providing for providing that substitute. We know that we would have had to suffer your wrath and death because of our sins. We're all sinners, we're all guilty. But you've given us knowledge that we need to repent and uh, accept Jesus Christ. Take, take advantage of this substitute, this way out, so to speak, because you don't really want to put to death people. Uh, you'd rather they live with you in peace for all eternity. So you made the plan, but we've all got to make our own individual choice. You've never taken away our freedom to choose and the Bible says that some will choose you and some will choose to reject you. So Father, thank you for your mercy for us and help us to continue to live lives that please you and we still look forward to being with you for all eternity. Thank you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.